0: Timothy. Well, good morning. It is good to see you. Welcome uh, to Christ Central. As Timothy said, my name is Daniel, and I'm really glad you're with us today. Uh, If you're a first-time guest or a recent guest here, uh, we're really glad you can be here during this Become initiative uh, because you can hear more about our heart and our vision, what we're really all about here at Christ Central. As Timothy said, we don't want you to feel any pressure to participate uh, if you don't feel led to. We've anchored this become series and initiative in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, where Paul writes this. He says, I'm confident that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Paul's confidence and my confidence as one of the pastors here, our confidence as a church comes from the promise that God's at work. I trust that God's at work in my life. I trust and know that he's at work in your life. He's at work in the people around us. God's at work in our city, and he's at work around the world. And so this Become Initiative, it's not just an opportunity for us to give a little bit more of our resources. I want you to hear this. It really is an opportunity for us as a community to cry out to God with holy discontent. With holy discontent, we would long for more of God's presence in our lives, more of God's power to work through our lives, and that God would be so gracious to pour out his grace to transform each one of us personally and then to lead each of us not to be consumers within the church but contenders for the mission of God in this world. That we would be a church full of people contending for more of God's presence in our own lives by being on our knees in prayer, by spending time in God's word, that we would contend for more of God's power to work through us as we sacrificially love our neighbor and we seek the flourishing of our city. We're all going to have the opportunity next week to take those steps of faith with the, or generosity to turn in these commitment cards during the worship service. And my prayer has been and is that we will all take those steps to fill it out, either this week as you prepare to come next Sunday or next Sunday during the service, but that it would not be merely another form you fill out or a half-baked commitment, but that we as a church would be hungry hungry for God to cause each of us to become the people he wants us to be, for Christ Central to become the church he wants it to be, for Durham to become the city he wants it to be, and for our world to become the world he created it to be, and that we will then pray and contend for the mission of God and his glory. We've shared during this Become Initiative that we want to become a church that sees leaders raised up, that A church that plants other churches that invest more deeply in mercy and justice. And this morning I want to share briefly that we want to become a church that has a permanent home. God has called us to love and to serve this city. And we believe to love and serve this city well, we need to have roots in the downtown core from which we can do it. A place of establishment so that we can, uh, from this permanent home, seek the good and the flourishing of our city for at least the next hundred years. Uh, that has been our prayer for 100 years we would be at least established in the heart of the city. And we're praying that it could happen in many ways. It could be a long-term lease. We could rent or we can purchase as long as we are established in the center of our city to move out to love our whole city. That's been our prayer. So in our passage this morning, we're going to hear the call to settle down into the city, build houses, increase in number, seek the welfare of the city, and we believe for Christ Central to do that well in Durham, we need a permanent home, Uh, and so we're praying for that uh, to be the case. During this series, we've been preaching through our church's core values. Uh, Core values really are just another way to say our guiding principles for how we behave as a community. Uh, The values really create the culture and ethos of our church. If you haven't been here, we've preached on delighting in God, Uh, We've preached on resting in grace and embracing one another. And this morning, I'm going to preach on the value of serving the city. Uh, Fifteen-plus years ago, uh, Tim Keller, who has influenced a ton of my sermon today, made one of our sermon passages extremely popular for urban pastors and urban church planners. Jeremiah 29, verses 4 through 7, uh, in my opinion, has been co-opted and hijacked by many urban pastors and church planters in these urban, really cool areas as urbanization has exploded in the last 30 years. So I've got nothing against skinny jeans, uh, but I, can, I, I can't pull them off. Uh, but I can definitely envision pastors all across our country in their skinny jeans and cool glasses and unique tattoos referencing this call to love the city. And I pray that, that we, I'm not indicting them in this, but I, I pray that we uh, we'll look at Jeremiah 29 and Revelation 22 and see this call to serve the city is about so much more than just loving the parts of the city that we deem cool. And so I'm going to read two passages, Jeremiah 29, 4 to 7 and Revelation 22, 1 through 5. If you're able, I'm going to ask you to stand as we give attention to God's word this morning. Jeremiah 29, thus says the Lord of hosts, The God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I've sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons. Give your daughters in marriage, that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. The prophet Isaiah tells us the grass withers and the flowers fade, but God's word endures forever. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us this morning, and Holy Spirit, you would illumine the word of God in these two passages. They would come to life, that our minds would be enlightened, our hearts would be transformed, and the way we live our lives changed because you've spoken to us. Remove me, the preacher, so that Christ speaks, that you might have your way in us this morning. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You can have a seat. (coughs) Well, uh, in the year 1800, try to guess what percentage of the world's population lived in cities, 3%. In the year 1900, 14% of the world's population lived in cities. In the year 1950, 30% lived in cities. And today, over 50% of the world lives in cities. And by 2050, many project that 70% of the world will live in cities. The whole world is increasingly urbanizing. Cities are getting bigger and more dense every year. The city of Durham is growing rapidly. Durham's population in 2000 was 180,000. Its current population is 266,000. The county of Durham is 319,000. About 30 people a month are moving here. Durham is the second fastest growing city in the state of North Carolina. And the change in our city over the last 10 years has been rapid and there really aren't many signs to show that it's going to slow down as we move into the next 10 years. So there's three questions I want to look at this morning in this value of serving the city. Why does the city matter? How are we to live in the city? And where does the power to live in the city come from? So the first thing I want to look at is why does the city matter? In Genesis chapter 1, the very beginning of the Bible, it says this, God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And God created male and female in his likeness. And God said, this is very good that humanity is different from the rest of creation. Each person an image bearer of God, each person loved and delighted in by God. And we live in the greatest migration to cities in human history where cities are increasingly filled with more and more image bearers of God. And this density of people is one of the greatest reasons to love the city. We know that God loves the city and that the city matters to God because they're filled with what God loves the most, people. And within this density of people, one of the things that's true about the city is that it brings into proximity people that are like you and people that are unlike you. Cities are places of diversity. As Paul and Barnabas went into Antioch in Acts chapter 13 and began to preach the gospel and the church was forming, there were different ethnic groups, represented within the church by by reaching Antioch with the gospel the church began to reach different ethnic groups who then could spread the gospel of Jesus by which they have been saved to their own people so with the rise of global urbanization it means in many ways that the church doesn't have to go to some far-off country but rather that the world is coming to the city and by reaching the city we can reach the world there's a church in Queens, New York, who was seeking to love their city and love their neighbor and the people in the city. And the gospel began to spread. People began to come to faith. And, and so this church in Queens began to plant churches all around Queens. And they continued to, to, to proclaim the gospel in word and deed. And many of their neighbors who were Filipino came to faith. And this church in Queens, New York, then planted a neighbor church in the Philippines. Because by loving their city... They were reaching the world. And as people from all over the world are moving into the triangle, we have the opportunity to reach the world with the gospel. And the city's not just densely diverse in ethnicity, it's also densely diverse socioeconomically. In the city, there is wealth and poverty side by side. And with this comes the opportunity to love each other, learn from each other, and help one another. Those with wealth can leverage their means to help other brothers and sisters, in regards to housing and employment and health and education. And those who are in poverty can help our brothers and sisters with wealth by teaching them what it means to more deeply depend on Jesus, or what it means to be a really good neighbor, or what it means to live in community and the importance of valuing the dignity of all people. And the city is also the hub of economic growth, creativity, and institutions that are going to help change the culture. In the book of Acts, we see see Paul, this great missionary, going to the cities because Paul knew that the city was the place of influence for the region, that if you could reach the city, it will spread to the region. And in many ways, as the city goes, so goes the culture, that you might reach a lawyer in the countryside, but in the city, you can reach the law schools of North Carolina Central and Duke. UNC Chapel Hill. You might reach a startup or a small business owner in the countryside, but in the city, you can reach American Underground or WeWork. You can reach a school teacher in the countryside, but in the city, you can reach the Durham Public School Board. And These are all reasons why we are to love the city and why the city matters. Here's the second question. How does God call us as Christians to live in the city? Let me give you a little bit of context of Jeremiah 29. Uh, The Israelites have been taken from their home in Jerusalem by the Babylonians, and they are living now as exiles in the city of Babylon. And the Babylonians have a plan for the Israelites, and their plan was to eradicate the spiritual identity of the conquered Israelites. And the way they would do this was to get Israel to blend into the culture of Babylon, so much so that they would lose their identity as distinct people. So the Babylonians wanted the Israelites to become like the Babylonians culturally and spiritually so that, so that the Israelite children and grandchildren would no longer identify themselves by their spiritual identity and being a distinct people, but now they would become like the Babylonians. That was the plan of the Babylonians in, in the exile. and So you can almost imagine how Israel could respond. They could respond by saying, hey, we're going we're to go to Babylon because they're taking us to Babylon. But the way we're going we're gonna to live there is we're going to remove ourselves and resist uh, the city and resist the culture. We'll create safe enclaves and kind of ride out our time in the city of Babylon. But the Lord had different plans for how the Israelites were to live in the city. Jeremiah 29, verse 4, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I've sent into exile, And to understand this word, uh, how to live in the city, we've got to understand this word exile. Exile means resident alien. It is somebody who is a citizen of one country and yet a full-time resident in another country. That though they live in a country, their primary allegiance was to another country. And that country's beliefs and practices shaped their living while they lived in a foreign land. Resident aliens lived in a country as full participants of that place, but they lived neither as natives nor as tourists. Exiles didn't live as permanently rooted, neither did they live as travelers merely passing through. Now first Peter chapter one, Peter refers to all Christians as exiles, that we are all resident aliens living in this world that our citizenship is in heaven with our allegiance to Jesus, and yet we are now to live in the world he's placed us. We are to live as exiles in the city, not blending in and not riding it out by resisting. This is not our home, but we're not just merely passing through. Our primary allegiance is to the kingdom of God, and the beliefs and practices of the followers of Jesus are to shape how we live in the city. So in Jeremiah, we see how we're to live as an exile, not just surviving, but we're to unpack our suitcases. We're to unpack our boxes and settle down in the city. Now, I can see an Israelite hearing that and go, wait, 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 why would I ever want to settle down in Babylon? We're going to go back to Jerusalem. Why do I want to invest in this city so that other Babylonians can benefit? Let's just ride out our time and do as little as possible until we return to Jerusalem. But Jeremiah says, build houses, live in them, plant a garden, take wives and have sons and daughters, increase in numbers, live in the city by serving the city, by loving the city, by seeking the welfare of the city. Now this word welfare, it's an important word. It is the Hebrew word shalom, meaning peace. And it's used three times here. Seek shalom, find shalom, your shalom and it has a much fuller and bigger meaning than just peace in the way we understand peace it means wholeness it means comprehensive flourishing in all areas for all people that where there is spiritual social and cultural brokenness we are to seek renewal and flourishing in every single area now one thing to note about babylon is that throughout the Bible, it is the representation of the epitome of civilization. It is the quintessential city of man. And we see it started in Genesis chapter 11, the Tower of Babel. The people of earth decide they want to build a city and build a tower. And the driving force of building the city was that they wanted to make a name for themselves. And they wanted to build a tower so that they can in themselves reach the heavens. So in Genesis 11 and throughout Scripture, Babylon is the city of self-salvation. It is the city of self-glory. And from Genesis 11 to the end of Revelation 22, the Bible is, the Bible is telling this tale of two cities, the city of Babylon, the city of man, the, the city of self versus the city of Jerusalem, which is the city of God, the city of grace and love and presence and glory of God. And as Christians... We are citizens of the city of God, but we live in the city of man. And we, like Israel, can be tempted to do two things. We could be tempted to blend into the city of man through adopting its values, its beliefs, its practices of the culture. Instead of allowing God and the word of God to shape us, we let the culture tell us what is true and good and beautiful We can believe that salvation comes through oneself, either by believing that the individual self determines what is ultimately true and has ultimate authority, or by believing that salvation is earned through one's good works or how one fights for a social cause. You see, in the city of man, self rules the day. Seeking to build a name for oneself, it's the motto of the city of man. And these are ways we're tempted to blend in. The other way we can be tempted is to resist the city of man. And this can happen by retreating from our place and from our culture, by building safe enclaves or niche groups or holy huddles or spiritual ghettos, whatever you want to call them, and just say, we're going to ride out our time here until we leave. But the call is to live in the city as an exile and to allow our allegiance to Jesus Christ and to his kingdom to shape and mold us as we engage and serve the city. In many ways, the followers of Jesus are to be a city within a city. Matthew 5.16 says we're to be a city on the hill. Our ethics are different because our allegiance is to the kingdom of God. And so the way we view money and power and loving our neighbor and seeking justice, these ethics of the kingdom of God are to shape how we live and then We unpack our bags, and we settle down, and we buy houses, and we start families, and we stay here for a long time. You see, we increase in number, not just settle down, but we increase in number, both by having children, which I think our church is gifted at, uh, having littles run around. That is one way, but then we also increase in number by proclaiming the gospel of Jesus to the people God's placed us around, and seeing people who've never trusted in Jesus, come to believe for the first time, and therefore enter into the family of God. And we invest with our whole lives and our actions for the flourishing of our whole city. All places and all people, not just the parts of our city that we think are cool, but we seek the shalom and the flourishing of the whole. See, we care about the 19-year-old college student who's overwhelmed by campus life. We care about the 28-year-old single person who's filled with fear about their job and fear that they may never get married. We care about the 45-year-old mom or dad filled with anxiety, wondering how their children might grow up. We care about the 60-year-old homeless person we see at the corner of Mangum and Jackie Robinson. We care about all people in all places. And please hear this. This is not some abstraction that I'm talking about. If we don't, as Jeremiah says, pray For our city. If we don't seek and engage the welfare of our city, what are we doing as the people of God here in the heart of our city? We've got to get on our knees. Literally. I'm not being figurative. We've got to be on our knees and contending for God to work in all places and all people. And then we've got to give our lives to places of education and using our vocations for kingdom purposes, to love our neighbors, to Engage in deeds of mercy and justice for those that are oppressed and marginalized because in the welfare of Durham, we will find our own welfare. As it flourishes, we too will flourish. Here's the last question. Well, how do we get the power to live in the city? Sounds good, Daniel. How do we have power to do so? I know when we read Scripture, and we're really quick to, to read a passage and then jump to application, right? We read a passage. Okay, where am I in this passage? And it's easy to do that in Jeremiah 29, to read, Israel's in exile. Well, how, how am I now in exile? I just did that, right? That was my second point. But to fully understand this passage and what it means to live like an exile, we have to understand and we have to trust that Jesus is the great exile, that nobody in here is the ultimate example of what it means to live like an exile. Jesus Christ is the ultimate example of leaving home and seeking Shalom. That God the Father sent the Son to a city, and he left his home, and he left his community in heaven, and he entered our neighborhood. He entered all the sadness of our world. You know, one of the two places in the Bible where Jesus weeps is when Jesus weeps over the city of Jerusalem, and the other place is when he weeps at the death of his friend Lazarus. That the plight of the city moved Jesus as much as the death of a friend. And it moved him so much that he would willingly lay down his life and death on a cross. Not in the city, but cast outside of the city. Where Jesus would take on peacelessness and take on the curse and take on God's wrath so that he could give us his shalom. That Jesus dies to bring the city to earth as it is in heaven. A new city, the new Jerusalem that Revelation 22 gives us a description of. Revelation 22, the river, the water of life flowing from the throne of God. Either side of the river, the tree of life with 12 kinds of fruit. The leaves of the trees are for the healing of the nations. And there will be no more curse. And we will see the face of Jesus and we'll worship and there'll be no more darkness. God will be the light. And we will reign with Jesus forever. So the power to live in the city comes from knowing Jesus comes from knowing how the story will end, that we are citizens of heaven. Not one day we'll be citizens of heaven, but we are already by faith in Christ, citizens of the city of God. And we know that we will live in the great city one day, someday, because Christ laid down his life on the tree of death so that you and I could inherit the tree of life. Jesus thirsted from the cross so that we could inherit the river of life. Jesus was cursed as he hung his body on a tree so that we could live forever without a curse. Our future city It's what gives us power to live in our current city. No longer seeking to build a name for ourselves, that, that we're known for what we do, but we trust in Jesus that we've been given a new name And we're inheriting a kingdom that will last forever and ever and ever. And so when we live in the city, we see both the brokenness and the beauty. As exiles, we're neither overly optimistic nor overly pessimistic. Because this is not our home. So we don't blend in. We live as exiles in this place. And we don't resist the city either. We seek the welfare, the flourishing of all people. So we go to bat. We go to bat, church, for people... In places like art or in nonprofits and education and medicine, we go to bat for the poor and the wealthy, for the single and the married, for the young and the old. In the season of become and every day moving forward, I pray that we are a people who are moved to really pray, to contend for this city. By the way, we pray, by the way, we share the gospel in word and in deed. And that we would give ourselves for the sake of all people in all places. Let's pray. Lord, I ask that we would see you, Jesus, leaving it all for us. And the kingdom of God is a kingdom of shalom. It is a kingdom in which every person in every place is filled with your goodness and your glory. And that is the place we're headed by faith in you, Jesus. You have, you have accomplished and secured that kingdom, and, and by you and your spirit, you're bringing uh, that to bear on earth. Uh, we pray that we would, as a people, because we know who we are and you love this place, be faithful to this place you've called us to, whether that be in our neighborhoods and our families and our jobs, on these universities, within high schools, middle schools, that God you would use us to love and to serve this place you've put us. Thank you, Jesus, that you're the king of your kingdom and you're building a kingdom that will last forever. It's in his name we pray. Amen.